Hello and welcome to Leadership, the Future and Tea, a podcast hosted by Andy Davis featuring Ian Moffat, Deborah Hartung and Hitton Bat, a podcast for people who are passionate about making a difference at work. Welcome everybody to Leadership, the Future and Tea and our special guest today is David James. David, welcome. How are you? Uh, thank you very much. I'm very good, Andy. Very good stuff. We're also joined by Ian Moffat today. Ian, you're good? I am good today and really looking forward to speaking to David. So hello to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, everybody. Uh, we, we've got David today and um, I'm going to do a little bit of an intro for David and we're really looking forward to talking to him. And we we're just saying before we started recording there that uh, L&D is a real, real interest of, of mine. You know, I've been in HR for many years, so I'm really looking forward to speaking to a, a true global expert today. So let me just tell you a little bit about David. So David's worked in people development for more than 20 years, notably as Director of Talent Learning OD for the Walt Disney Company across Europe, Middle East and Africa. Fantastic start. He now specialises contemporary L&D practices and work with clients to develop and implement their digital learning strategies, which encompasses face-to-face as well as online, whilst equipping L&D teams with trusted methodologies and practical digital skills. He's a member of the CIPD L&D Advisory Board, and he teaches on the CIPD Level 5 Digital and Blended Learning Programme. Hey, that's a big start, David. Oh, thank you very much, Andy. Yes, I, I like to keep myself busy. No, that's, I can tell that by, by that collection <laughs> there. That, that awesome. doesn't leave much spare time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listen, it's great to have you on board, and um, and as we said, we, we're we're here to um, to learn from you. We're here to spread knowledge, and uh, the real focus and ethos of uh, leadership, the future, and T is David. Leaders like you across different fields, um, we want to spread your knowledge and and your learning to others. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, so that that's the plan. Great. And as as a fellow podcaster, then uh, again, we're open to feedback as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to it. No, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Look, listen, David, let, let's let's get started. OK, you, you're a leader in your field. OK, so we want to start off with knowing who's your leadership role model and why. Um, well, it seems from the outside that Jacinda Ardern is ah. the outstanding leader in the world of politics right now. Um, I see her as decisive, yep. unapologetically authentic and empathetic yep. uh, when the opposite of her can be seen by the egotists the narcissistic charlatans <laughs> in other parts of the world we won't name any names no 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 um i think we need to see more jacindas and less below par white men hogging power oh yes man. there it, we are ian we should start actually having a jar shouldn't we every, gonna, every time somebody says jacinda at home we can have put a pound in there this is the leadership fan club right and, it is and, and for yeah. all those people out there i'm sure you can self-select into the buckets that, that david's just kind of illustrated but jacinda comes up nearly every podcast now every, so everyone just yeah. needs to keep doing what she's doing because it's brilliant mm. yeah. yeah i completely agree and i, I think that uh, and i say that uh, that from the outside it looks as such because um it's very it's very easy when you don't have any skin in the game to be looking at another country and thinking that they've got it all right because part of being a leader is um being seen to be saying the right things a lot of the time but if you're yeah. on the i mean i think we've probably all worked with people who talk the talk but whether they walk the walk or not is a very different matter i think that's yeah. one one element of uh, of leadership i'm not going to say for a, for uh, one moment that jacinda's mask has slipped in any way uh, i think that she's uh, supremely uh, impressive um and i and i and i do hope that uh, that we see in the style of leadership there 
uh, with her that number one is authentic and one that, mm. that is being felt. Now she can't cross every divide. There are going to mm. there are going to be people, uh, which you know I'll, I'll, I'll talk about during uh, during uh, the rest of this conversation, who who don't share those views uh, and therefore uh, will not recognise her as a, as a good leader. But I think that from the outside we're seeing enough of the right stuff uh, mm. to recognise in a in a, a world which is um quite plain and bonkers um in a in a lot of areas which which have been the stability of uh, of, of world politics for so long uh, she has been a shining light and uh, yeah. uh, an example i hope of, uh, of where we're going and you're right in terms of the the, the demographics of other world leaders uh, isn't it fantastic to have uh, an incredibly achieving uh, woman leader actually sitting there taking her um, maternity leave and you know being being both an incredible leader and incredible mother and uh, all around good human at the same time uh, and and yeah again it's there's a lot of people at uh, at prime ministerial level that can learn from that throughout the world i agree yeah definitely definitely so listen you, you just started to get down the track of um, of, of kind of what you look for in a leader. I felt that you were actually going to just carry on naturally going <laughs> to my my, my follow-up question, which is about what are the key traits that you look for in leaders? Because it felt that you were, you were nearly there with that one, mate. Keep going. Mm. Yeah, so, so I say that um, leaders who seek to unite people, I think are crucial today. If we're looking at world leaders, there's too much divide and conquer. Um, mm. and, I, and, and I think that that... that um, that's had a detrimental effect on not, not just countries but families, and I and I think that um, that uh, I'm, I'm much more um, uh, aligned to um, the the politics of hope and progress. But yeah. it's not just you know we're not just talking about uh, uh, about world leaders today. Uh, I think that um, that continuing that still on on number one here, uh, a strong corporate leader will unite people around a, a strong vision or a purpose yeah, uh, for which people will buy into. Uh, when I was at Disney, we had uh, we, we were unifying the European, uh, the Europe, Middle East and Africa business, uh, create a bit of separation between uh, the US uh, and Europe so that we could become more accountable, make faster, uh, mm -hmm. more localised decisions. Um, and when uh, and when the, the president of uh, the, 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 the first president of Europe um, was uh, was appointed. It was clear that it was one voice, one vision. Um, yeah. You know, and everything was spoken about what that actually means. So it wasn't it wasn't a uh, um, just a um, a slogan. It was everything that underpinned what the organisation was trying to do. So there was absolute clarity. So that'd be my number one to unite people. Yeah, number two, yeah. I'd say that leaders who aren't all about the rhetoric but want to understand and do things that matter. Uh, again, from a from a, a political perspective, uh, we are on the cusp of uh, an environmental crisis. Um, I know that there might be some people listening. I hope that there aren't uh, who don't believe that that is the case. Um, but I, I certainly err on the side of scientists rather than Marjorie on Facebook, where I get my my information from. So um, so I think that um, that 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 understanding what matters. First of all, from a global perspective and then leading yeah. from there, but also uh, understanding what it means for, for people. Now, from a corporate perspective, that means that um, what, what I see is the risk of the current situation is people, um, leaders ignoring the current situation that people face and then charging their teams, whether it be sales teams or service teams, 
to get results regardless. Now, I don't think you can. I think that there is there's plenty of opportunity uh, around right now. Don't get me wrong. I mean, so it's going to be it's, if it's not a terrible time for a lot of people, then it may turn out to be a terrible time in terms of livelihoods. But mm. there is opportunity out there. And I think that organizations that remain stuck to the path pre-COVID are likely to be, uh, become unstuck. And Absolutely. there are going to be some younger, more nimble organizations yep. with strong leadership and focus who are going to make opportunities here. And yeah. this is not just to, uh, to capitalize on people's hardships, but there could be opportunities here because people want to do something different. And then there's an opportunity. But that's where the understanding part, um, I think, is important. Uh, and then thirdly, which I think is linked uh, very much to number two is empathy mm -hmm. um yeah. that again thinking you know all of the answers or bringing in an advisor who thinks they know the people is very different from trying to understand the people that you're seeking to influence um so uh, so i think empathy is uh, is a is an underrated uh, ability uh, and one perhaps um that that could gain more prominence yeah, absolutely. So uh, uniting, understanding and empathy. I think those were the three. And uh, and again, the, the, the empathy is one that crops up time and time again that, uh, yeah. that uh, I don't know, we, we, we three can uh, talk on podcasts and write articles as much as we want. But at the end of the day, um, it, there is a, requ a change required there uh, amongst yeah. many of those leaders. Um, so, yeah, I t totally, totally with you on all of those. Ian, any any thoughts on those? Yeah, I, no, I lo I loved it, uh, David. I thought that was great. I, th I think you know when you uh, uh, how best to phrase this, I suppose when you when you're thinking about you, you mentioned your your second one there was around that you know I suppose it was talk to agility. You got you got to have you got to have the empathy. You got to have a good communication, and good communication always starts with listening. So mm -hmm. that listening and that empathy, you know, for me, you know. I, th I think those modern businesses and the survivor businesses and the thriver business have got to think about their tone and their approach, right? Mm. You can get uh, that tone yeah. right. And, and what you said about uh, the COVID-19 will cause opportunities for some companies. Mm. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. We, we've, we've talked about this time and time again. I've, I've, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewed by a journalist about this and said the same thing, uh, David, that the opportunities that will arise for some companies will will ultimately be the downfall of others mm. yeah that, that that will be the, the outcome of it and as a company now it's about actually saying how are we going to change not are we going to change but how yeah and yeah. and for leaders that aren't prepared to do that and do that with that uniting force and with that empathetic uh, approach they're not going to be there in, in a no. few years time so, yeah, you're right. And I think it's about responding. So so you can change for change's sake and you can uh, digitally transform for, for digitally, you know, for, for, for the sake of it. Mm. But but how you respond. And of course, you've got to understand and listen to respond. Um, yeah. uh, and I think that we've seen plenty of, uh, of um, very famous high street brands, certainly in the UK, um, if not globally, go to the wall because they were um steadfast on uh, on old models yeah uh, toys r us is the is the prime example and i know that they were probably hit by amazon uh, of as much yeah. as anybody anybody else yeah. but yeah. their reluctance to go online that, and to yeah. truly become an online business yeah uh, really, really uh, affected them that's a great yeah. example yeah. exactly great example so just going back i just wanted to um it's a bit of a broad question i suppose but just going back to that you know that leadership approach right um, 
where do you think the and I'm not making any excuses for the way that people behave, but you know, it just strikes me that the media has got a they're really pushing this idea of divisive politics. Mm -hmm. And and if you dig a bit deeper and you look through and, and we're on the subject of, of uh, L&D today, mm -hmm. that that some of the the um, the learning, the education system and how it's you know, sort of portrayed, portrayed leadership, mm -hmm. you know, in the past and not so much now, you know, they have big effects as well. So on that L&D, do you think do you think um, those um, courses, those establishments which are producing the leaders of the future now, do you think they're, they've already converted to that new model? Um, I think it's, first of all, I think it's difficult to say, Ian, but I can, I'll tell you what my opinion of that is, Yeah, is that there are far too many providers of learning content and programs who have never worked in learning and development, who <laughs> yeah. offer things that look like silver bullets um, yeah. and, and yet they're not. Yeah. Um, and whilst they get a really good reaction on the day, they deliver absolutely no results because you can't separate leadership from context um, in any in any given organization. Um, the, um, the the culture in which people are expected to perform is much more than half the job. So yeah. when when you're when you're told uh, you you know you you'll go on a, um, a a program and then be told um, right what we'll do first of all is we'll define your purpose. Well, we've already got twenty minutes to define your purpose, and then what <laughs> we'll do is then we'll we'll look at um, your 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 network in the organisation. You know, so so what it is it's the it's the delivery of 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 content on a set path. What it doesn't recognize is that the transition into leadership in any given context is one of the most, one of the biggest uh, and most um, exposed um, jumps you will ever make. And it is one of the most misunderstood as well. I'll give you an example of how it's misunderstood. In an organization I once uh, worked in, uh, they overhauled the first line manager development training and it got yeah. great feedback. I'm not going to tell you whether it worked or not. It wasn't measured on whether it worked. It wasn't built to make any difference. It was designed as a, as a provision, um, a very common word in learning and development. But because that got a lot of people through, it got good feedback, um, they, they said, right, next thing we're going to do is we're going to look at leaders. So I wonder whether, as a global L&D team, we could look at the First Line Manager program and see what's applicable. <laughs> <laughs> right. About no evidence. Years later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was promoted to director and I can tell you something for nothing. None of that was relevant. The, I mean, it's a double edged sword um, being promoted to uh, to director level because of the um, the amount of exposure you have. So those people that there was a there was a level between you before you're dealing directly with. <laughs> but then the other side of that sword is you are exposed because no one's got your back right so like and it's not that people are trying to find you out or trying to trying to do anything it's just that that in management you've got leaders or experienced leaders who are pushing you forward to get you some exposure so that so that you can get the right things done but when you are on top of that mountain and the wind is in your back <laughs> you know you live and die by your good decisions your bad decisions and any currency you have at any given time 
And so it's so much about, and this is where the context comes in, it's your ability to get enough of the right stuff done by bringing all the right people with you mm -hmm. in order to get support for your ideas and drive enough change. And again, there's another thing about, about leadership. Very, very few times do you have a remit to overhaul, or even if you do have a remit to overhaul, thinking that you alone and the team below you are the 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 um, the, the critical factor in that is ignoring all of the, the people from the side and above that need to be taken on that journey. So another mm. thing I, I, I'd say I took from that was that like inching forward. And even if you get a knock back and you get, you know, you go backward a couple of inches, it's all right on any given day or week or month. It just means that over a period of time, then as, as long as you know that you're making progress, I've been, I've been, um, uh, working with people who were brought into an organization to transform it. They come from very smart, very progressive organizations before. They were brought in to deliver a certain job. They thought they'd done that. They didn't bring their peers with them. And so they were kind of ostracized from the leadership group. And of yeah. course, when you when when that happens, then then you lose your power. You lose you lose your ability to influence your peers. And then all of a sudden you're impotent. You're on the yeah, yeah. you're on the edges rather than uh, within the inner circle. Um, with a lot of people who are who are trying to keep some things the same because leadership mm. again is about vying for internal resources, especially in a matrix organization. So so all of those things are are so critical. So anybody that tells me that they've got uh, an off-the-shelf course that covers that, <laughs> I'm more than a little bit skeptical. So can yeah, I just go you. back to 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 what you said there, David, uh, you, you said about actually you're going to get some knockbacks. You, you're going to have to at some point take a step back and, and say, actually, you know what, we need to go again here because I got that wrong or it just didn't work. And what you just said really loud and clear is that's OK. That's normal. Yeah, that's yeah, perfectly normal. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll have a, a load of people on a call. You'll think the call went well. You didn't get any objections. It all goes fine. Then you get a call from Germany and says, no, we can't do that. It's got to go through the workers' councils. And That's then right. you've got France call up and say, we'd love to do that, but we're too busy. You know, and, you know, so you're like, oh, my God, I've loved, like, I thought that this was the right thing to do. But yeah. now I've got people dropping out. My boss, you know, in the yeah. in the US now now wants me to report back on how successful that was and what the next steps are. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> like, right, OK, I've got some work to do yeah. before yeah. before announcing yeah. anything you know so, so it's just it's you know there's there's a there's a lot of grunt there's a lot that goes on that uh, being being a leader isn't all about setting a vision saying all of the right stuff uh, a lot and of then, politics right then, a lot of yeah, organizational all, politics hugely amount no, uh, cool. about politics here and, and that's that's great learning right because for our audience uh david you know we keep telling people that um you know, there's a variety of leaders out there with a variety of experience and different levels. And uh, hey, that's just a great piece of learning for people to to hear from somebody like yourself straight away. So, uh, so that's really cool. Ian? Yeah, so just going back then to the, um, what are the, I suppose, well, two part question, right? What what are the changes that you're starting to see in that L&D space? And of those, what's the ones that you're really excited about? There you go, yeah, this is actually, this has got some good around it. Mm. Um, so I'd say that there's a there's a there's a broader change here as people move online as they they look to experiment more with digital. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a 
there's a, a good side and a dark side to this. I'll start with the dark side. <laughs> awesome. Oh, please do. This is converting PowerPoint slides into resources. <laughs> right. So, 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 so PowerPoint and the, the delivery of content is based on the premise of we need you to know this, right? From a, from a skills, from a knowledge or an insights perspective. Now, if you are developing resources that are still, we need you to know this, you're 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 missing the trick i mean when was the last time you just opened up google um and then you just typed in tell me something i should know like it's you know google doesn't work like that you have a pressing concern and then you go find it um so so in learning and development we we don't fully understand this because we we have been in delivery mode for decades and we uh, and when the the position of sage on the stage um, was uh, was challenged because all of a sudden everybody in the room had instant access to what you knew because I remember reading a couple of books and writing courses on it. I had no depth of understanding. I certainly had no experience. Um, but you deliver this stuff through through good sound research and then off you go. But all of a sudden, I'm in, con I'm in conversations with delegates who are saying, oh yeah, what about this? Yeah, I read something about that. What about that? You know, all of a sudden you're thinking, I'm not the sage on the stage. And then facilitation mm. becomes more yeah. uh, more important because it's not so much about what you can deliver, but the conversations you can have, which which can be richer. So so where learning and development are taking content and then pushing that as we need you to know this, it is um, it's missing the opportunity that's available to us with digital. Now, what I see as the light side of that is that people as a result of COVID have had to respond very quickly to a very specific need that has come yep. up in their organization. Yep. And there is um, there is a compelling event, which means that people need to adapt now. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you've got this perfect mixture. So we need to operate at a pace to get people um, ready to perform at work. It's a, it's a critical path. Yep. Um, we need to equip line managers with the ability to uh, to maintain a productive team, even though they can't see them. So the new rules of engagement, again, it's a very critical path. And as we ease restrictions, the critical path is going to be how do you help your organization miss out on lost opportunity uh, and achieve its now shorter term goals, yeah. sometimes to stay alive. Mm. And everybody needs to be pulling in in that direction. Yeah. So so uh, in order to do that, L&D have had to align with the business and how for how long have we uh, we had <laughs> the navel gazing conversation about how yeah. you align with the business. Guess what? You have to help with the KPIs that the, the, the organization sees important and not translate performance needs into learning needs and then create your own KPIs around engagement. So so it's about staying in the workers lane is the really important part. Being agile. Now, it doesn't have to be capital A, but uh, some principles around understanding what it is that people are trying to do. So working collaboratively with them and then getting the minimum valuable product out to make the minimum valuable progress and then do more of the stuff that works and less of the stuff that doesn't. Turn it around in a few days, get it in the hands of people to help them to perform. So all of this, you know, so that is that, that is fantastic. And, and that's not, I mean, some of that could be face-to-face -face and some of it can be just about conversations online. A lot of it, you could be digital resources, taking what people know and then translating that 
to the challenges and unfamiliar situations that people are, are finding themselves in so that you can guide and support them at their moment of need. Now, that sounds really futuristic. And for anybody in large organizations might think, well, it sounds very easy to do if you've got 30 employees, but what about 100,000? Mm. Now, there are, there are organizations already doing this sky only operate um, like this, which is um, they will have not a learning needs analysis, but a backlog. What's the most important thing L&D needs to be involved in as far as the business is concerned yeah. and down? It's open to all stakeholders. And then anybody comes in and says, excuse me, can I have some email training for my team? They'll go, is it more important than? And then they'll look <laughs> at the list and they'll go, no, it's not. And go, can I suggest you Google it? Right. And, you know, so 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 there is so there is so, so once you've got a waiting or once you show people what you're working on, but not then in order to, to develop a perfect program that people experience only once, but it is in the context of what it is that they are trying to do. You give them useful stuff that makes it more efficient um, for them to both perform and get results. And then you scale it to more people once you know that it works. So, so really, you're getting stuff in the hands of people in a few days or a couple of weeks that it would have taken you months to, yeah, to schedule, yeah, to develop yeah. and schedule people to go through once. And there's and, and the difference as well being that one is in the context of work close to the point of need where people are expected to adapt. And the other one, there's an enormous gap between where those. what people are experiencing yeah. and what and what they're um, uh, and potentially when they're expected to apply that. Plus. You know, your, your listener here, I wouldn't expect them to remember everything that we're talking about here. They might take one or two things. So we've got to take a look and thinking two or three day programs where we're doing a lot of talking and expect people to remember. Maybe giving them a fat folder to take away for their own reference to remember the stuff that I delivered uh, with them. It's all we need you to know this. And digital is much more around giving people what they need. Um, in order to perform when they need it, in the tools they use for work that surface. Again, the real distinction um, that I think people are getting right is that it's not just about creating platforms full of content that people can easily search and get stuff, but creating automated campaigns to surface the right stuff to the people in anticipation of whether they need it and using data to understand how close to the point of need you are. So you can understand that in terms of uh, its usefulness and keep an open dialogue with the people you're seeking to um, uh, to influence. But the real key distinction is, is that you're not seeking to aid learning you're seeking to aid performance and results. And that is a massive game changer for L&D because if you can get to pe get people what they want when they need it, engagement is an absolute given and you're yeah. only looking at the impact. Whereas if you're giving people stuff they might need at some time in the future, if, if and when, guess what? They're never gonna go there. So, so L&D chasing engagement uh, with generic content on big, uh, huge platforms don't worry about it. I mean, that's that's a complete waste of time. Well, David, I'm just going to jump in there and, and yeah. say that, you know, hopefully there's a few people just listen to that and uh, kind of run away and thought to themselves that actually they've got L&D wrong for the whole career and uh, that they really need to probably go and change quite a lot of what they're doing. And, and one of the bits I want to pick up on, uh, because I think actually yeah, what you just talked about there was beautiful, by the way. It's completely future focused and absolutely right about focusing on performance, not just general learning is actually the ability to launch a piece of learning and then have the the sort of review cycle really quickly which says 
what worked, do more of it. What didn't work, do less of it. And that is the single most failing point for me in a lot of l and I've seen throughout my career, that people wrote a pack of slides or even put them on the, the overhead projector acetate and burned them on you know, 20 years before and still walk around with the acetates under their arm, right? That is, is gone. And I still think that some people haven't realized that that course that you wrote three years ago probably isn't relevant now. And if there's one thing that's good in there, then bin the rest. Mm. So I, th I think that's a fantastic message for people to have that that fast review loop uh, for every single piece of learning that people launch within the business. I think that that's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, Thank you. And, and, and just following off that, I think the framework you've described there is a really practical way mm. to make it agile, to make it collaborative, mm. yeah. to make it more in the moment. You know, how many times and I will not name names, you know, from various institutions and companies I've worked for in the past where you've been forced to sit in on some learning in yeah. terms of learning when in fact it, it, I don't know if there's, we need to worry about if there's a difference between information sharing and learning, you know, because the, you know, <laughs> the outcome should be the same. But, <laughs> but, you know, getting it in the right side of chunks and at the right time is, is vital. Yeah. Just an interesting stat, though, that I got. I, I was on a roundtable recently and there was a couple of um, sort of L&D providers, content and also learning experience pl uh, platform providers on there. They were talking about a three to four hundred percent uptick in mm. just consumption of content. And I wonder how much of that is in that camp of immediate compliance information sharing, you know? Yeah, and look, I, I, I really think that there's no, there's, um, there's no trick to, to getting engagement. It's giving people what they need in order to do all the stuff they're trying to do when they need it. It, it really is just that. Yeah, it's that I mean, I've, yeah. I've been in conversations with uh, with learning tech providers that uh, that say that uh, they created this game, and that, you know, the game was the talk of the organisation. Thinking, oh, as if, like they, you know, like they're, they're, if if you've got people who are who've escaped their work into a game, number one, you've got people who aren't working, and number two, how dull are they, how disconnected from the organisation and the role are they that they think that it's good enough to disappear into a game rather than to do the work. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I think that uh, um, uh, game-based learning that could have a place. Uh, I think gamification of work itself that could really have a place. Um, but at Disney, we um, when, I, when I first joined in 2006, the, um, the gaming arm was outsourced uh, to another provider. Do you know why? Because it's really bloody hard to create a good game. <laughs> Correct. So then, so then yeah. that didn't really work. So, so we brought it in house, and we we uh, we hired all these game designers as well. By the time I left, that had been outsourced again because it's really bloody hard to create <laughs> games that really yeah. take off. But when you've got people who who say, "Oh, we do this health and safety thing," and what we do is, you know, to to show people what hygiene is important, we have to you have to kill a fly in the kitchen. Yeah. All right. Okay. Brilliant. Uh, well done. You get a point for every fly. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's, it's, you know, that's a that's a massive distraction. If yeah, you've just got a clear message, you go, you know, you, you you've got to kill flies in the kitchen. Okay, that'll do. Just so, like so, so, in terms of that, in terms of what we've talked about, we, we've talked about the dark side. I'm going to use your word, the dark side that still happens, and simply the taking of the powerpoints, and uh, all of a sudden they become some content for something else. Do you think the current crop of L and D leaders that we've got are really prepared? for these changes and to embrace new technology? Uh, Andy, I would say that I am constantly surprised by the people who approach me and that I'm recommended 
I speak with on the podcast because mm. there are more and more and more. Um, every every one of these leaders has had their aha moment. Uh, I don't think I've spoken to a single one who didn't think that running training courses was the cornerstone of their L&D provision. And that's where real learning happened. Digital or online learning was yeah. supplementary to that. You know, everybody had been through that until they had that moment, which but the most common one is that they're up in a room, they're looking around, a load of interesting faces, and then they go, is this really going to make any difference? And that's their aha, for which then they go and explore something yeah. and which they're finding out about user-centered design, design yeah. thinking, agile. And they're looking at people like Tracy Waters, Sky, or Gemma Patterson uh, at Legal and General. They, their stories are all over the internet now and on podcasts where people say, um, yeah, I, we, we seek to affect performance uh, rather than just create learning. We're really yeah. focused on that. So yeah. we understand the data that we experiment, we scale what works, and then we move on quickly, and that we can we can um, make provision for all of, all different groups in our organization multiple sure. times per year, rather than the, and, and here's a stat, uh, Degree did, some, uh, did a study, and it was in 2015, but I can't see how it would have changed uh, for the positive since. Um, in a survey they uh, um, published, 20, only 23% of respondents said they'd been on a course of any kind in the last two years. So yes. L&D are really busy. They're <laughs> really busy, 12 people at a time. So let's go back to your 30,000, yeah. 50,000 yeah, organization yeah. and realizing that less than 1% of your people are experiencing L&D in a fa like face to face in any given year. And now, and now you say, oh, yeah, but we've got webinars. We've got this now. Yeah, that's an exercise. <laughs> we need you to know this as well. Um, but but yeah, there, I, I am always surprised by the people who contact me and say, I've got a story. Whether that's Sarah Allen at AXA. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to um, uh, a lady this morning that, uh, that we've just scheduled a, a podcast in who said the pivot was learning to performance. It was uh, working collaboratively with people for people nice. and getting stuff out the door and then um, to see whether it works or not, and then scaling it when we know that it works. Those people are worth their weight in gold, and I'm I'm pleased to say I think that uh, that there are there are coming more and more of them. Well, uh, I'm just going to pick up on one of the things that you talked about, which is about that face to face thing. That person stood in front of the room and having their aha moment. Um, I'm I was looking uh, last week at uh, something. It's probably about 18 months old, and it's from the LPI, and uh, the top five skills. Number one, facilitate face-to-face -face learning. Right, that's that was eighteen months old. That that's their analysis, and and I'm still kind of taken aback by that. And and yet, what I read all the time in uh, in leadership press is actually one of the most lacking items in leaders is digital acumen. Yeah, and and that's the bit yeah. that uh, still I think is needed throughout is actually the ability for people to say, I know what we did in the past, but actually now we've we've got a greater opportunity. And as you rightly say, you, you, you can sit there and you can have a room with 12 people and have biscuits and toys for people to play with on the table. But actually, how do you scale that up? Yeah. And what was your decision for uh, for doing that in the first place? This is where data is really going to help us. Yeah. I had Trish Yule on, the, uh, uh, on my podcast. Um, she's a data analytics expert. She said L&D have always focused on summative um, data, which is looking back and saying, did what we do make an impact? But yeah. what we've completely overlooked is the formative, which is where's the critical point of failure in our organization? 
How do we know it's a critical point of failure in our organization? Who are the people who are charged with that? Yeah. Do they know that that's a critical point of failure? If we tell them, how can we help them to make a meaningful uptick in a um, in a metric that's important to them and critical to the business? Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you well, go. So, so, so formative data is all about are you actually working on the right stuff? The opposite to that is looking across an organization and going, you know what we need to do? I read this book. We need these <laughs> courageous conversations. <laughs> you are absolutely right. We do. Our leaders don't have courageous conversations. Get 50 of them in a room. Do you have courageous conversations all the time? All the time. Yeah. There you go. There you but go. You don't ask them. So you get them on. Like they, they learn a bit about themselves. Everybody likes to learn a bit about themselves. So you put some personality test or something in there. Everybody walks away. They're quite, you know, quite infused. Throw a 360 in there as well. You know, that always goes down particularly well. And everybody will remember that and they'll take their report and that will be yeah. particularly valuable. But all that stuff around, let's have a practice. You doing a courageous conversation will make no difference whatsoever. If it's not in the context of what they're trying to do and Correct. they recognize that that is going to help them with their primary reasons yeah. for being in the organization rather than L&D, which is the one of the biggest crimes we've ever done. You try to rewrite people's job descriptions when they walk through a training room. You now, Ian and Andy, are coaches. No, I'm not. I'm not expected or rewarded uh, to be a coach in this organisation. And you, <laughs> you have no right to do that. We, we should be in the business of how, not what. Yeah. And, yeah. and interestingly, I'm going to follow up on data analytics that you just talked about. And that's what the decision should be made on. Again, we totally agree with you on that. I'm going to go back to the LPI. I'm going to say the bottom five skills of the bottom five skills. Data analytics is at the bottom. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, I, I mean, I think I think there's a bit of a way to go. How, how, how old is that? How old is that? 18 months old in. Which, you know, isn't that long ago, really? No, it's not. In the sort of the the, the ordered changed world. world yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm the, going to... Uh, at, yeah, look at the Towards Maturity reports as well for the last five years. And you yeah. see exactly the same. There's a spidergram on every report that shows you what um, the most um, uh, common skills are and what the, the least developed skills are. It's data analytics. It's yeah. um, digital content development. And the scariest one of all, which is enhancing performance. Yeah. That's it. The, the LPA capability map. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, yeah. I'll pop the uh, I'll pop the link in the uh, in the That's show. That's a great resource. So yeah, yeah. Can have a look at it. Right, Ian, over to you. I think. Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I feel a bit bad asking this question now because you said, well, you know, read a book about, <laughs> uh, you know, um, having those honest conversations, and you know, it's fixed. But what was the last book you read? Uh, so. Um, I've always got books on the go um, and yeah. I've always got a couple, one on Audible and one one at, uh, at night time. So the last two I finished uh, was How Britain Really Works by Stig Abel, uh, and a really fascinating book about the institutions and uh, the the people and the dynamics that mean and the history of all of those things. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. means that that things run the way they are. Yeah. Um, the. Second one um, is a brilliant book called, now I'm not into self-help because I, I usually think that there's a pamphlet's worth of information um, strung out <laughs> over 300 pages on many of them. But, the, but this one's but a trend. It's called Beyond Blame, Eliminating the Most Toxic Form of BS from Your Life. And it's by Carl Alasco. Wow, he okay. unpacks, um, um, I mean, it's all about language patterns. It's about self-talk and yeah. it's about 
the um, the blame cycles we can get into with everybody that that we're involved with. It could be with uh, with loved ones, it could be with neighbours, mm. it could be with work colleagues. But the instant that we blame, we hand over control. Um, we um, we what we're doing is we are criticising um, people. Uh, and we are only going to get one of the six negative emotions yeah. as a result of blame. And yet we're brought up to think that this is an integral part of our communication. This book breaks down exactly what it is so, um, so that you can recognize it in your everyday um, life. Um, and it also gives you an alternative so that you can have more fulfilling um, conversations and relationships with uh, with people. Really? I couldn't recommend it enough. I, I, um, I, I don't know if it's a similar book to Chimp Paradox. I, I remember reading Chimp Paradox mm. on a train going to Edinburgh and I was just, I read the whole thing. I was just completely yeah. blown away. Yeah, I was like, great book. this is really describing how, how I act at worst. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, that's a really, book. really good. Thank so um, th thanks for those. Again, we're going to post those in the show notes, David. And uh, let me just talk about your network for a minute because we connected over LinkedIn, right? Um, I'd seen some of your stuff. I'd listened to one of your podcasts. Uh, we had a bit of a, a kind of email conversation on LinkedIn. We eventually had a phone call and uh, here we are today recording a podcast. So there you go. So we are we are examples of networking through uh, through social media. But you know, how do you um, build your network? Is it active? Is it passive? You know, what, what's your approach? Um, it is. It's a little bit of both. I think LinkedIn is amazing and has been amazing for uh, for uh, growing a network and a, and a real network as well. Twitter mm -hmm. is, uh, has been amazing. The people who are active on Twitter in the fields of HR and L&D mm. are some of the most generous uh, and insightful people I've ever met. Uh, people like Perry Timms and, yeah. uh, and Sukpabial, um, really prominent, um, really show that platform as a way of, um, how, would you, how would you describe, just being public. I just think, yeah. I just think it's, it could be a very real platform. Uh, LinkedIn, I think, is uh, is useful. Uh, I was in the business of uh, posting what could be seen as contentious posts, but really it was just it was just throwing down the gauntlet to L and D a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and you would make as many friends as you would enemies. Always. Uh, yeah. Uh, but but the people who believed in that as well um, become allies. Um, and yeah. then the podcast really helped because I get I get an hour to 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 chat with people that I would never have spent that time with. Exactly. Uh, I research them, I prepare a load of questions, yep. we have a rich conversation, and then I remain in touch with them um, afterwards as well. So so that, so it's kind of a, a passive in that it's in the, the general day-to-day -day of what I do, but you could say that, but maybe it's because my working day is engineered around <laughs> connection. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. love it, great answer, great answer, thank you. So this is this is a question we we usually ask. It's one of our sort of stock questions, and and I love that bit about how Britain works because it it mm. fascinates me in a way that we've got all of this this talk about technology change and disruption and all these sort of things, and that is true. That's absolutely true, but we've also got the underlying way in which people act, which is sometimes ingrained over years and years and years and years as well. So it's a kind of there's a kind of dichotomy there, but. In that context of change, how, how is leadership going to change now in the COVID, post-COVID world, do you think? Is it going to change? Um, well, we're in an awful period right now where people with some heinous views are seeking leaders to validate and perpetuate their toxic beliefs. We need, as I mentioned earlier, to be more hopeful, optimistic 
Um, and we need progressive leadership to combat the worst of people. It's almost but this uh, this leadership by dividing um, mm, allows yeah. people to not bring their best selves to this, not to believe yeah. in something, but just just react against things. So I hope that's what's to come. But also leadership that considers the finite resources available to us all on this mm. planet. I think yeah, that yeah. there that's are that's good. immediate concerns that we need yeah. to address. Which goes back to your original starting point at the beginning of the podcast about actually, you know, people listen to this and uh, whether they think that there's uh, some sort of global crisis or not, then um, that's that's part of the answer, isn't it? Well, yeah, and it's not. So that's not just about politics. This is no, this is not. about organisations. So, so if you're if you're mining fossil fuels and you're lobbying um, government uh, in order to uh, to continue to do so or grow mm. your operation, even though you know that ninety seven percent of uh, of scientists are telling you that this is this is not going to end well, uh, and the other three percent are on the payroll of uh, of, of said firms, um, then 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 organizations have a responsibility as well so that Correct. finite resources also includes people as well mm-hmm. um so they i'm not a big fan of uh, of um just um submitting to there has to be inequality in the world in order for some people to benefit from um uh financially yeah I, I, I believe that there is there is something uh, more that we can do uh, rather than just um, unrec- uh, unregulated capitalism uh, in order to level things out. I think that there needs to be positive intervention. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, that socialism or communism is the is the way, uh, yeah. but I'm certainly saying that we need more intervention so that uh, we're not just lining the pockets of uh, incredibly rich organisations and people to the detriment of everybody else. Uh, whether that's because they're reaping all the rewards or um, they're having a negative impact on the on the environment. No, I get that. That's uh, that's yeah. really clear, really clear. So finally, uh, and again, we love asking this this question to people: yeah. What's your leadership legacy going to be? Well, I'd like to be the guy who gave L and D the digital tools and know how that helped the profession make the same strides that marketing has over the last fifteen years: modernising, automating achieving results predictably and reliably and elevating the profession as a result wow awesome wow well i sincerely hope that there's a load of lnd professionals that listen to this and actually get in touch with you afterwards to continue some of the conversations there i hope that you've that you've really sparked some interest in people um because i've i've really enjoyed that i think you've said some amazing stuff about actually the focus for lnd and where it should be and, and actually uh, there's still a, a this oh, there's a huge amount of training that's still going on that really is back in the dark ages now and again it's people just bringing out stuff that they did three three four years ago and thinking that it's relevant um yeah. i i hope people listen to this and now take the time to go away and reflect on that and and determine uh, what they're going to do in the future um ian before we wrap up anything else no just a big thank you uh, david an absolute pleasure having you on the show um as ever when you have a great guest like yourself the, the time flies by yeah it's gone by. yeah so, wow you know let, let's keep up the conversation uh, off the podcast but really really enjoyed it and thank you so much thank you both well uh david just let me wrap up there for everybody so uh everybody thank you for listening to leadership the future and tea with our very special guest uh david james a true global l d superstar uh with uh, absolute progressive thoughts there um 
please listen to it again. You know, uh, take up his mantle there of that you can dip in, you can dip out of a digital resource when you need to. Uh, I think that I'm going to leave it there. Uh, David, thanks very much for your time. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so we can continue to reach more people and spread the message.